trade efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 47, we're joined by Henry Albert, president of Albert Transport, where he talks about his passion for fuel economy, how he uses his experience as a race car driver to excel at fuel mileage in his truck. We talk about the importance of aerodynamics, his experience in run on less 2017, how he manages speed with respect to deliveries, and we chat about a great resource for you all, Freightliner's team, RunSmart. Today we have joining us Henry Albert of Albert Transport. And actually we'll hear a lot more of the other things that, that Henry does, except, uh, you know, in addition to, to hauling freight for his company. It's, it's a real pleasure to have you on today, Henry. Thanks for joining us. Great to speak with you again today, Mike. Yeah, this uh, this podcast series is titled uh, Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. So from day one, we had a pretty uh, relatively high bar there, Henry, of only having friends. Do you remember how we met? I remember it was coming up on the initial run on less, which gosh, that was back in 2017 already. Uh, I remember being contacted. I think we had met at some of the truck shows prior to that. That was the beginning of what's been a long-lasting friendship. Yeah, now it goes back a little farther than that. I remember I left Navistar in '09, and when I was trying to figure out NACFI, what it could be, what it should be, I'm going to guess around 2013 we met, um, and then just did, had a, a few phone calls, and then it got yeah, absolutely it got serious with uh, with Run on Less. Let me ask you two questions. How did you start in trucking, Henry? And then what caused you to, to really get a passion for saving for saving fuel? Well, the, the fuel started in trucking. The reality is, if you go back as far as my baby book, I liked anything with wheels. And really what I wanted to be was the railroad engineer. But when I came out of high school, railroads were on the decline in the Northeast. So that didn't happen. And, and trucks were always another interest. And, in you know, next in line was having the most wheels, right? So – Chasing the fuel mileage side of it has always been, well, that's one of your major costs. Uh, I'm a former race car driver, won a championship at that, and, and understand that I've used the same methods I did for winning a championship racing cars to excel at fuel mileage. Those things don't sound like they would be directly attributed to each other, but they are, and you know, it's not necessarily for speed, it's for efficiency on how you're tuning the engine, paying attention to aerodynamics. And I learned a lot on the aerodynamics front when the initial part of my career as an independent owner-operator starting in 96 was running flatbed trailers. I could greatly affect my fuel mileage by how the load was loaded onto that open deck and really started to get a really good idea of what the air was doing to the whole combination of my vehicle in regards to fuel mileage. My wife and I, many of you know, full-time RVers, and we, uh, we, we bit the bullet, and we now have a, a, uh, a big motorhome, diesel. Uh, and, uh, you know, just this weekend, Henry, I drove a couple thousand miles and learned a little more about uh, aerodynamics and how much air is around these tractor trailers and trucks. I kind of got pushed around a little more than I did with my Super Duty pickup and fifth wheel. You know, traditionally, uh, or not traditionally, but in many cases with like uh, company drivers and, um, you know, private fleets and so forth, uh, someone else buys the truck, specs the truck, and then it's sort of up to the driver to get the best out of uh, 
the technologies or the equipment that he or she is given. And, you know, there are incentive programs for company drivers where if they, you know, um, do better than others in their fleet, they might get some more money in their paycheck. Um, so, uh, but for you, you wanted to, to do both as an owner-operator, to really be in charge of the equipment and um, how you drove it, how you set it up, and so forth. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, your journey there about maybe starting with, you know, what you said about loading on a flatbed or driving more efficiently and then ultimately to being able to spec your truck and, and from add-ons to, to really then, um, you know, a new truck. How does it all work? Well, really, one of the things I learned in flatbed, and and I made a mistake early on, actually. So I started out brand new, and, you know, everybody was going after engines in the four and a quarter range and more, and I got a simple little 96 brand new because I wanted to start out with a good horse. I had to sell everything I owned to get a loan to do it, and I was in hock bad, right? But started out on my own authority, but... 360, 400, 1,450 foot-pound of torque. That would seem like a joke today, right? But <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was a solid seven-mile-to-the-gallon truck at the time. You know, six, eight, seven, I could count on it quarterly on my IFTA reports. And, you know, at that time, that was huge because my peers during the same time period, you, you were hearing four-and-a-half, five, five-and-a-half. You know, that was a serious amount of money in your, your uh, pocket difference right it meant the difference between making it and not making it and i really looked at trucking kind of like i did the racetrack uh when i raced on dirt everybody did a lot of effort towards how they got up off the turn and maybe a lot of it on the power wise of how they went down the straightaway and when i looked at that and i learned this a lot from my stepdad racing snowmobiles and other different things was, all right, I'm going to concentrate my effort where everybody else wasn't. So I concentrated my effort on getting into the turn. And as a consequence, I ended up carrying more momentum off the turn. And, and you know, that worked. So when I looked at trucking, I'm like, oh, people talk about, oh, how much power you need to get up over a hill. And I'm like, wait a minute. When you look at most of our country, the majority of it's flat. And where it's not flat, half of that's downhill. So even if you're on West in West Virginia on I-77, which I call the roller coaster, half of it's downhill where it's uphill. And in between all of them, it's flat even when you're in the mountains. So no matter where you're at, the majority of your time's not going uphill. So why do we focus so much on the going uphill part? Uh, to me, that really hurts a lot of people's efficiency. Uh, I'll sacrifice quite a bit of uphill to do better out on the flat. When it comes to what I learned in aerodynamics on flatbed was that I made a mistake. Where I was pretty much in charge of the two trucks we had as a private carrier, even on ordering them. And we were pulling spring ride slider trailers, uh, open flatbed, underground, fire hydrants, all that kind of stuff. And when I started on a flatbed of my own, the only trailer I could find was a spread axle, an air ride spread axle. And I really didn't want an air ride spread axle, especially living in North Carolina where I did a lot of my hauling because you were already allowed 38,000 pounds on a tandem. So why did I care about having two axles 10 foot, one inches apart? When no road in the country is perfectly straight, that means you're always dragging a tire sideways. 
the racer in me said, that's completely a really bad idea, right? The other thing that it yep. afforded me, was, that I did learn with the spread axle, was that I could put 4,000 more pounds in the front than the back, and I still was over 35,000 on the spread, which is if you can't make the rest of it work out in an 80,000-pound combo, you got problems. Um, through all that, my next trailer was an air ride slider, and with that, because I did a lot of wallboard at the time, and most people that loaded the wallboard loaded it up five, a stack of five, like four on the bottom, one in the middle, six, six, and a 36-foot load with 12-foot by four-foot wide, 48-inch wide wallboard. Well, with my air ride slide, I would run myself up the minimum bridge on the slider, and I would start a little over a foot from the front of the trailer, which tucked the trailer up closer to the truck, and I would load mine six Five, which tapered the back down towards like a raindrop. Well, on those wallboard loads, I was turning close to eight miles to the gallon back then, coming up out of Florida to the Carolinas. Granted, it's flat, but I was still close to eight miles to the gallon compared to the people with the spreads that had their loads way farther back than me. Then they had a larger vacuum behind it, and they weren't attaining nowhere near the fuel margin. My actual averages back then would have been a lot higher, but the one direction my outbound freight was all hauling chain-link fence, which is like hauling a cattle trailer on steroids. Every piece of wire is grabbing the air. Right, right. So, that, uh, that too. so basically repositioning that um, that load on a flatbed is – you you were kind of mimicking a you know on a drive van a just a very large tractor trailer gap and tucking that that load up as close to the tractor and gaining not only the somewhat of a benefit of a of a on the front end but also that tail on the back end that you're talking about. Well, sure. You know, anyone knows from that's involved, especially in NASCAR racing and and that really any form that why they came out with the fast-back automobiles in the 60s so that you didn't have that large vacuum on the back window. Uh, study anything to do with the aerodynamics that went into the uh, Superbird and the Daytona Special from the Mopar crowd, right? You know, made yep. such a car that it ended up becoming illegal. But they, they had to change the whole rear window shape of a Charger to get rid of that vacuum. So, Henry, let's kind of... Fast forward a little bit to maybe, I don't know, the mid-2000s or something. Go back about 10 or 15 years. And you're still, you know, you're really after the fuel efficiency. Um, but in a world where, you know, we're just starting to see fuel prices go up. So, um, you know, I, I would imagine you were, you were kind of just doing the work, saving money in your business. But as um, fuel went from 2 to 3 to $4 a gallon, um, boy, everybody started working on fuel economy, and the greenhouse gas regulation started. NACFI shows up, right? So um, uh, t take us back to those times where you probably looked at that with some sort of, man, I, you know, this isn't new. This is stuff I've been working on all over uh, for a while, but, but really it became very important to fleets when fuel went from $25,000 a truck to 70000 or more dollars a truck per year. It was nice being ahead of the curve, already have learned uh, learned a lot of what worked and didn't work. And 
probably the more rewarding part is people prior to that, if you were worrying about that real hard, looked at you like you had two heads. Uh, the fact that aerodynamics and running down that road of improved efficiency started to be, dare I say it, cool. Where before yeah. it, it just wasn't cool. I mean, you had words come out like, well, yeah, but you drive a Tupperware truck. Well, I don't know. Tupperware is pretty good material, and it never rusts. So I never saw that as a real <laughs> bad insult. But, you know, and, and you know where, where we went. We had the, the traditional trucks before that were the cool deal, right, where you had great big stacks next to the doors bucking the air. You had large air cleaners hanging on the side of the hood, which from the racer standpoint of myself, I mean, to each their own on that. But the racer in me never saw that as being good. I mean, to me, it looked like from an appearance standpoint, for me, it looked like they were at their doctor's office and stole their trash cans from the office and hung them on the side of their hood. But to each their own, if they think that's cool, I mean, you know, whatever they want to do, right? But the racer in me always was like, you know, we have all sorts of battles to fight. I mean, we have government regulations, insurance company deals, lawsuits that happen, brokers, shippers, uh, traffic jams, weather conditions. And with all that, do we really want to pick a fight with the air itself? That, that was always my thing. Why, do, why would we want to pick a fight with the air by putting anything in the air that holds us back? That's, that's the racer side of me. You know, the racer side of me says that just doesn't work. And and I never, in my mind, could accept it. Yeah, so, um, so you know, we're kind of going through a little bit of a fuel economy history timeline here with Henry Albert, and I'm, I'm excited to do this, Henry. So let's go to the next step then. So, you know, maybe now we're in a, in a place where, you know, eight mile per gallon. Now, of course, it depends on the load you're hauling, and we, we know all about the conditions matter. But now we're kind of in a, well – you know, eight mile per gallon is reasonable, and let's get us into the, the mid-2010s then when, uh, yeah, when you and I got serious and I called you up and I said, hey, we're thinking about this, um, you know, at the time, I think when I first called you, I probably said something like, we're going to do a cross-country fuel economy demonstration to see what the best of the best is, and that became, you know, run on less in 2017. Uh, ultimately, we let the, the trucks and you run your normal freight um and that you would have run but we put monitors on the truck and we did some videos et cetera, et cetera. and seven truckers uh there in the september of 2017 averaged 10.1 mile per gallon so that was kind of another like oh my god moment for the industry uh i remember standing up at well you were with us in atlanta at the finale and said um you know this group did 10 mile per gallon and there was a bit of a uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, not like a horror movie response from the audience, but there was definitely a gasp that, um, you know, 10 is really here. So uh, tell us a little bit about Run on Less and, you know, sort of that double-digit fuel economy that was demonstrated there um, where, you know, more publicly this uh, this was shown to be possible. Well, in doing that, let's not skip past that eight-mile-to-the-gallon mark because I remember when – they started talking about seven being his, like, benchmark number. And at that time, I was after eight. And 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 I really looked at eight just a little bit differently because the math works out easy. Because eight mile to the gallon is equivalent to a mile per pint. 
And I really like the, the visualization of a mile per pint. Think about that. If, if, if you visualize every truck going down the road leaving just a pint of fuel, a pint, you can visualize this on the road. It's like, wow, we should be able to do better than that yet. But at the time, hitting eight was huge. To think that you're setting a pint every mile that you went down the road, which, like I say, that's how the math works out. And getting to eight was a pretty big deal for me. Uh, it was kind of funny with technology. It seemed like skip past nine pretty fast into the mid-nines, and all the technology was facing that way and got into the tens. And, you know, when we did the run on last, a uh, lot's changed since then. I started a goal where I was trying to hit double digits and cruise at highway speeds up to 75, which, you know, I was over 10 miles a gallon at 65. Stepping it up to those speeds made it much more difficult. Uh, during run on last, where we all paid attention, uh, which incidentally was the most competitive, non-competitive event that I was ever in. I mean, it was all on the group score of this deal, right? And we had, you know, I was with Freightliner, and we had trucks from every manufacturer, and and it was all to be kept mum that it was the overall score, right? But what people didn't see was behind the scenes, man, we were competing in a non-competitive event. So <laughs> yeah, we kind of hey, it was that was that was a bit that was a bit intentional, uh, Mister Albert. <laughs> I mean, we were going after the numbers, and I mean that was a high water mark at the time. You had to run right, and we were really paying attention to everything we were doing as we drove because oh, we were under a microscope. But wasn't there a number of trucks that had twelve plus mile to the gallon days? I know mine had done it. Yeah, we definitely had some twelve mile per. Per, per per gallon days, um, you know, and uh, th- those were days where maybe it, you know you had maybe a little lighter in the box, a little uh, a little tailwind, but also just because you said it a few minutes ago, I mean, it was three weeks where you all were all completely on your game. I mean, you were you were doing everything with the equipment, um, no idling unless absolutely necessary. Um, you know, just just good consciousness on the pedal all the time. Um, yeah, uh, very impressive. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll remember that forever. I know I will because we had access to where we figured out where each other was and every one of us was trying to one up the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me that you, you didn't wash your truck for the three weeks cause you didn't, uh, you didn't want to idle in a car and a truck wash lane. I thought that was really interesting point in trying to save every drop of fuel during those three weeks. And well done. Well done, my friend. But let's talk about speed some. So, uh, you know, speed just kills fuel economy. And, um, you know, as you get up into the, you know, I always drive my RV at 63 or 64. I just stay in the right-hand lane. I find myself much more comfortable over there, and I can drive farther during the day because I'm not as tired, you know, having to change lanes and pay attention to all of the, you know, issues that changing lanes has. Um, but you get up into the, you know, from 63, let's call it up into the 68 and then 73, then that just burns a lot of fuel, right? So, um, uh, you know, t- tell us about how you manage speed. Particularly, I'd be interested in, you know, if you're if you're not going to, why get to the truck stop early with your hours of service 
going fast if you don't need to, but some of those real-world decisions you as a trucker make around um, speed every day. So in my case, I had a very unique situation happen, and I actually had experienced this years ago when I was flatbedding. Um, my main customer was a chain-link fence customer going outbound and wallboard coming back. And from the chain link customer, which was my outbound freight, I got to see all the freight they were going to have at the beginning of the week. And I had a pretty good idea. At this point in time, I was running either up to Jersey or to Florida. And depending on the combination that was available, I could throw an extra. I always did two turns unless it was a holiday. And if everything went right, I could turn three turns. Well, if I saw three turns was possible, I'd start running right up against the speed limit and making sure everything happened right. And more often than not, I would turn around, which I couldn't make up with for fuel mileage. So I never drove faster than I needed to, but I drove fast enough to get the goals done. So I didn't put on. So you get people that's all about rate, or it's all about fuel mileage. No, it's all about all of it put together. Don't put blinders on that you can't see the other. Um, but with that being said, the first moment that I got held up or anything changed that I wasn't going to be able to get that third round in, which didn't happen that often when I saw the opportunity, I would immediately slow down to 60-62 and take my good old time and sit over there in the right lane. Uh, fast forward to today, my main route is from Laredo, Texas, where I live, to Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's 1,382 miles. And if I run the speed limit up to 75 all the way across Texas, 70 worth 70, 60 worth 60, 55 worth 55, all the above, I can make it from here where I leave at Laredo, Texas, to Gulfport, Mississippi, 735 miles away, and have about five minutes left on my ELD. Yeah, that's a bit stressful, right? So then I leave there, and the rest of the trip, the bounce to Charlotte, 65, 70, a lot of it's 70. And if all goes right, the most I've ever had was an hour to spare on the total trip. Um, by doing that, I get there. I put the trailer in the dock. I take my 10-hour break while they're unloading it and reloading it, and then I leave and do the same thing over. I'm able to get that run done in four days flat. That gives me a fifth day where I'm able to make some pretty good money working locally mm -hmm. or just another day at home and reducing my work week from a five-day week to a four-day week or the additional revenue opportunity that comes with it. Yeah, and as NACFI studied it, and we've been working with some DOE labs and some others, you know, we think freight is getting more organized um, and predictable. I mean, it's still a pretty chaotic, you know, uh, world, but um, we're certain to understand. So those decisions you're making around speed, you know, go um, speed limit when it makes sense to get there, given the hours of service calculations, to save money and to have more, uh, you know, home time. Is, uh, is is and avoid that 34-hour reset somewhere, right? 
um, is really a great thing. Um, but slow down when it doesn't, um, because they're, you know, we're saving fuel and emissions. Um, hey, Henry, we're going to run out of time here pretty quick, but I did want to ask you and, and, and understand a little bit about Freightliner Team Run Smart. Are you still part of that group, and what is it, and, and how can people uh, learn from you guys? Freightliner Team Run Smart started really as another program, a slice of trucker. 2007, when they were introducing the Cascadia, they wanted owner-operators in these trucks blogging about them. And and what it's turned into is not just us talking to other drivers, but we, we carry a lot of the feedback back to the engineering, which have been used to make the truck better and better all the time. Uh, they take it serious, and so it's become a conduit of information, not just us out the drivers that we meet that don't necessarily know how to get the most out of their truck, but it's also become a conduit of information back to the engineers to constantly make the truck better, which is one of the things I'm really proud about with working with Freightliner here, their leader. But when you get around the engineering side of it and how they're working, you would swear that they were in last place because they are not leaving any stone unturned. So it's been a real pleasure getting to work with them over the years and still continuing it. And you can find our blog at teamrunsmart.com. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I follow it, and um, you know it's a great place to to hear from from really th- those folks that are right on the front lines. I mean, you know, Henry's foot's on the pedals. Um, he's fueling his truck. I mean, it, it doesn't get any closer to the to the real world than that. So, hey, Henry, I got to wrap it up there. It's been wonderful going through a little bit of of history on uh you know your your journey as well as NACB's on uh, fuel economy and efficiency and and really about making money because like you said that um, fuel is a huge expense and the operations matter so um thanks for joining me and uh, you have a good day great to be with you again mike freight efficiency with NACB's mike roth and friends 